Anybody else? No? Let's get started. We're going to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 9. is one of the longer chapters because Moses is reviewing a lot of stuff. Let's pray before we get started. Thank you, God, for the praise reports. Thank you for this book, for your word, Lord. Um, Thank you for all the lives here. Um, I pray that you would bless us and speak to us and continue to teach us and that you'd be glorified. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Cool. So now um, we're in chapter 9. Moses is still giving his sermon before um, this new generation enters the promised land. And over the stretch of this, I think, how many chapters? Like 20-something chapters. um, A majority of it is just Moses' teachings. Moses is teaching because this is a new generation. And he does a lot of reviewing. And this chapter is solely on reviewing. And we'll start in verse 1. It says, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go in to dispossess um, nations greater and mightier than yourself, cities great and fortified up to heaven. And what Moses does is he speaks the way God wants him to speak. And so God doesn't like to sugarcoat anything. God is not passive aggressive. He means what he says and says what he means. Um, And this is the exact same today in Matthew Chapter 16, verses 24 through 26, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And so the New Testament is, um, the way God speaks in the New Testament is the exact same way God speaks in the Old Testament. He says, um, these nations are greater and mightier than you. And that's the basis of a Christian walk, is that you're going to face things greater and mightier than you. God doesn't say that you're going to conquer everything. But what God does say is, because these things are greater and mightier than you, that if you depend on God, if you lean on God, if you trust in God, He's the only one that can provide for you. He's the only one that can get you through it. And He's the one that does all the work. That's why things are mightier than you. Um, same with the New Testament. God says, like we, like we looked in Matthew, um, God says, if you want to follow him, you've got you to gotta deny yourself. God is, you know, a Christian walk isn't something you add to your life. It's not something that you add as an agenda. It's something that you're kind of immersed in, that God is a part of everything you do now. It's not just a little component. It becomes everything. Um, and so that's what Moses is doing. He's teaching the same way God would have him to teach. Uh, verse 2 now. It says, um, a people great and tall, the descendants of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you've heard it said, who can stand before um, the descendants of Anak? And verse 3 says, therefore, understand today. And I like how it says, therefore, understand today, because that speaks to me a lot, because um, I know I struggle with this, because if I blow it, I don't think that God can use me right away. I don't think that God can use me right now. I don't think God can help me today. If I blow it like really bad, I'm like, man, it's going to be a while before God uses me. And that's not how God works. God is way more gracious than we give him credit for. He is gracious beyond um, our understanding. And it says, therefore, understand today. So always remember, no matter, you know, how, how short you fall or what you go through, that 
God can do something today. He can do something right away. And he's been so gracious. There have been times where I just blown it. And like moments later, not even like seconds, just moments later, he gives me opportunities to be used. And, you know, it's so hard to understand. It's nothing in the world compares to it. But I like it because it's also in the Old Testament. It says, therefore, understand today. And then it says that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you. So you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord um, has said to you. Um, In John chapter 15, verse 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. It's kind of the same thing here. Um, A lot of people think this is a contradiction, and I like to look for these because if they point it out, you're ready. Um, If you look, it says in verse 3, it says, he will destroy them. And then later on in the verse, it says, you shall drive them out and destroy them. And so people will say, um, well, who's doing the work? Is it God doing the work or is it the people doing the work? And you have to explain to them that that's not the point of a Christian walk. If, if that's the way they think, then that's not a Christian walk because this isn't a contradiction because this actually defines a Christian walk. It's not a matter of you doing some stuff and God doing some stuff. It's not a matter of, oh, I'll take care of some things when I feel like it and I'll give some things to God because that's not a good representation of what a Christian walk is. God puts this, this example because it's about um, unity. God chooses to use us as um, his vessels, and that's exactly what's going on here. It's neither um, um, God doing it, and it's not us just doing it. It's God using us to do it. It's kind of like a teamwork thing, kind of like a bond, a relationship, uh, almost like business partner kind of thing that God will use us. He doesn't need to use us, but he wants to use us, and that builds Um, relationship. It's not a matter of we doing some stuff and God doing some stuff, but we're letting God use us for everything that um, he pleases, everything that he purposes. And so that's the first three verses. Now we're going to go on to verses uh, four through six, uh, starting at verse four. It says, do not think in your hearts after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me into possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out um, from before you. And what, God is, what Moses is talking about is uh, pride. He's saying, don't, uh, don't get puffed up in your heart. And I like how it says, in your heart, because that's the way God looks at it. God doesn't look at the exterior. He looks at the interior. In fact, when we, when we see a prideful person, God sees it way before we see it. Like if we see a, a prideful person, we see things at face value. We base things off of what we see and what we hear. And so they might be making, you know, a very prideful comment like, I'm the best Bible teacher in the world. No one can beat me at this kind of thing. And we're saying, oh, that person's prideful. But what God sees is God sees before that person even says it, that person's already thinking of it in, in their heart long before that moment happens. And that's why um, God is emphasizing this. He's saying, don't have pride. In, don't have pride. Don't be prideful. But don't let it even start in your heart. So don't think prideful thoughts. Because um, one of my favorite verses is in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. It says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. So long before we even see people say prideful things or act pridefully, that, that stuff's already going on in their heart. 
no one just says prideful things off the bat. You know, you think those things first. And God is saying, don't even think those things because that's where it all starts. That's where God sees it. God doesn't see you saying it. God sees it stimulating your heart long before any of this even happens. Um, verses, uh, verse 5 now, it says, It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you and that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Again, still talking about pride. And what I like about this is this is also a picture of salvation by grace um, because he's talking about God's righteousness. He's saying it's not your righteousness that's driving these people out. You're not possessing this land because of your righteousness. And it's the same thing with us. Um, if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So it's the same way back here with the children of Israel, with us as well. It's not our righteousness that gets us saved. It's not our righteousness that delivers us. It's God's righteousness. It's the exact same thing. And I like the example because um, a lot of commentators will say the Old Testament is almost like a shadow of the New Testament. It points to the New Testament. Um, And verse 6, it says, Therefore, understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. righteousness. So same thing. When God gives you things, even if, you know, you were able to earn it somehow, God gave you those abilities to earn it. Um, So it's never our righteousness that gets us anything. And it says, For you are a stiff-necked people, and stiff-necked translates to stubbornness or closed-minded. And so it's it's kind of the same thing. You're very prideful um, when you're closed-minded or when you're stubborn. You don't want to um, see things God's way. And I think Christians get a you know, bad rep for that. We, we get called closed-minded a lot. And a lot of times, sometimes we are closed-minded. We should be more open-minded to the way God wants to do things. Um, sometimes we have these structures and these regulations that we think we need to follow a certain way, but that's not God's way. God is infinite. He has multiple ways of doing things. And as a person, we've got to represent um, God well. And if we're going to do that, we have to be Um, open-minded. We have to be open-minded to the way God wants to do things, the way God wants to raise people up, the way God wants to move ministries. And that's, we need, we need to change that because we get called closed-minded a lot. And some of us are closed-minded, I I believe. Um, We don't look at it the way God looks at it because he says, you are a stiff-necked people. People are stubborn. They're prideful. They think they got it figured out, but that's not the way God works. God works in multiple ways, differently all the time in our lives. Um, if you look at verse 7 now, it says, Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from the, the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place. You have been rebellious against um, the Lord. And so Moses is again reviewing all this to um, this new generation. And we have to remember some of these newer kids are, you know, mid-aged. A lot of them are actually really young. Like if you look back at the beginning, it says, whom you've heard it said, who can stand before the descendants of the Anak. So some of them know who these descendants are. Some of them don't. Some of them are really young. And Moses is reminding them again that the Lord has delivered them out of the wilderness. And I like this because if you look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, um, it's one of the Beatitudes, one of my favorite ones. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
And what God is saying is, he's te- he's re- or what Moses is saying, he's reviewing their um, rebellion, not because he wants to discourage them, not because he's saying, your ancestors just blew it, you know, like, look at what they did, this is so bad. He's not, you know, trying to discourage them. It's more along the lines of making them realize that they need God. Because if you look at Matthew 5.8, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. He's reminding them what God has done for them, what God has delivered them through, because um, those that God uses are poor in spirit, and that means that they have nothing to offer God, that they know that um, upon a holy God, they have nothing to offer Him. They are nothing without Him. Verses. You look at verse eight now. Also in Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath, so that the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. Um, verse nine. When I went up to the mountains to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant which the Lord made with you, then I stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. So Moses is reviewing, t- reviewing the time um, he fasted. And then verse 10, it says, Then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of assembly. And that was a time in, uh, that was found in Exodus chapter 20, where um, these tablets had the commandments written on it, and they were written literally with God's finger. God didn't supernaturally use someone to write it. He literally took his finger and wrote these Ten Commandments, which I think... Stuff like this in the Bible is really cool. Uh, then verse 11 says, And it came to pass at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded image. So it's kind of the same thing as earlier. He's keeps, he keeps talking about how excuse me, how God delivers um, the first generation. He's reviewing all this, and again, he's not doing it to discourage them. He's saying, learn from your ancestors' mistakes, but he's also saying the solution isn't the same way they did it. The solution is not in your own strength. He's doing, Moses is, is teaching them in this way to show them that, to not, again, not to condemn, not to discourage, but to show them that you need God. You, the only way you're going to get it done is with God. And the solution is not your own strength, not your own flesh. It's um, through the Spirit, through seeking, depending, and leaning on God. And then verse, verses 13. Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me, saying, I have seen this people, and indeed they are a stiff-necked people, so stubborn, prideful, um, closed-minded. And in verse 14, it, this one stuck out to me a lot. It says, Let me alone, that I may destroy them, and blot out their name from under heaven. So that's the first part of verse 14. And I think it's really cool because Johnny talked about it Sunday and Joshua talked about it yesterday at college and career. And Joshua used the verse, um, Revelations chapter 3, verse 5. Um, it says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And so Joshua talked about... Um, this verse where it says God won't blot out um, names and Joshua's talking about how um, Johnny on Sunday talked about we need to reflect ourselves, we need to analyze our walk and see and, you know, let the scriptures speak. Is it possible for us to lose salvation? 
And both conclusions I thought were really good because it doesn't really matter if we can or can't lose our salvation. We don't want to be near that conversation. We don't want to be to the point where we're insecure about our salvation. We should be grounded in the faith to know that we are saved. Um, Personally, because of this verse and the verse in Deuteronomy, because in Deuteronomy, the verse 14, it says, um, let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their names. And so the one in Revelation says, will not blot, and this one says blot, and so God has that option to blot or um, will not blot. So that's just me. Same thing with the verse in Colossians. Um, Johnny talked about on Sunday where it says, indeed, if you continue in these things, um, that's my personal opinion that I think you can lose your salvation. But I think what this first part of verse 14 does for all of us, and we should learn from this, is whether we think we're going to lose, we, we have the potential to lose our salvation or not, um, we should have a fear of God. We should fear, um, have a healthy fear of the Lord because it, let's say God, you know, tells us straight out that we can't lose our salvation. I don't think people would be living the same way. I think God does things for a reason. God words things for a reason because it keeps us grounded. It keeps us um, in obedience because if we, you know, if we 100% knew that we weren't going to lose our salvation, everyone would just say a prayer and then live whatever way they want to live in disobedience. And I don't think that's what God's about. Um, If you look at the second part of verse 14, um, it's a lot more positive. It says, and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. And so he's talking about the old generation. He's saying how he, God wiped them out. But this next part gives us hope. Same thing with us. Sometimes we think we've blown it. Sometimes we think we, you know, God can't use us anymore. God doesn't have the same blessing for us. God can't give us another husband, another wife, whatever the case is. God, we, sometimes we think that. But it says right here that no matter what happens, that even the old has passed, God can start things fresh. And that's what God does with all of us. When we accepted him by faith, we were a mess. And God hit the restart button on us. We gave, he gave us new life. We're a new creation. And we should be changed. And I'm sure a lot of us have done a lot of things differently now. I'm sure a lot of us has had a ton of blessings since the point where we came to faith. And that's what God's all about. It says he will make you a nation mightier and greater than they. And we'll see later in the last verse of this chapter he does this because we're important to him, because we're precious to him. No matter, um, you know, all this God, you know, God is judgment. God is perfect. He's holy. But at the end of the day, he's still our father. He's all of these things. And we're going to see that um, later on in this chapter, too. Uh, moving on to verse 15, it says, So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God, had made for yourselves a molded calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. Then I took the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before, my, before your eyes. And that symbolizes um, that old covenant um, almost like being broken. And, but so God is still faithful and he's still going get to get it done through this new generation. Uh, verse 18, it says, And I fell down before the Lord, At the first 40 days and 40 nights, I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sins, which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid, and this word afraid in verse 19 is actually a really rare Hebrew word used, and it's ekphobos, and it means exceedingly frightened or stricken with terror. And I think that's suitable because that's the kind of fear we should have for people 
because Moses is frightened for his people because Moses is seeing it through God's perspective. Through God's perspective, it's a holy and righteous God and we are sinful man. And if we can't obey, you know, holy perfection, there's going to be consequences. He fears for his people. And we're going to see his response to that um, in a sec. It says in verse 20, And the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. Um, so I prayed for Aaron. Also at the same time, um, Aaron sinned as well in Exodus chapter 32, verse 21. It says, And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? And so Moses is praying for not only Aaron, he's praying for Aaron and the whole nation of Israel. And that's his response. His response is prayer. And I think sometimes we don't think that. Sometimes we look on the news or we hear stories of, you know, people falling away from the faith and we're just like, oh, bummer. But we should be praying because we should be fearing for these people. We should be fearing for you know, ISIS and everything going on around the world, our leadership. Um, when things are going bad, we have to be able to, to see these people, these people's righteousness aren't going to get them into heaven. These people's mindsets and perspectives aren't going to get them into heaven. These people's works aren't going to get them into heaven. So we need to pray. We need to pray like Moses. He prayed on behalf of the people. And it even says, where is it? Um, and, and the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. And so our prayers are really powerful. You can see from Moses, prayer is really powerful. I don't fully understand how it works because God is perfect. He never changes. His will is intact. It's perfect. Um, But yet we're still able to make requests to him. And that aligns us with God's will. It doesn't guarantee that he's going to you know, grant our request. And a lot of times um, it's not going to guarantee that he's going to grant our request our way. He's going to do it um, his way. But you can see from scriptures over and over that we might not fully understand prayer and how it works, but it works. And it does something to your Christian walk, and it's something that God calls us to do. Um, Verse 21, it says, Then I took your sin, the calf which you had made, and burned it with fire, and crushed it, and ground it very small until it was fine as dust. And I threw it, threw its dust into the brook that descended uh, from the mountain. And so Moses burned this idol, and um, I, I came up with three reasons why Moses would burn this idol. And the first is to completely obliterate this idol. If you look in the, I think it's chapter 8 or 7, where it says um, you want to be, you want to utterly destroy your enemies. Same thing with um, us. Our enemy is sin. We don't want to just, you know, get rid of parts of sin and hang on to it or control sin. That's not what God's about. God's about destroying sin, utterly getting rid of it. Um, and the other two is to make the people... Um, have a consequence for their sin because we don't get away with anything. God makes sure that we reap um, what we sow because a lot of times we sin, we do things, and we think we're getting away with something. And the last one I put is um, to show that this idol or this lowercase g God um, was nothing and could be destroyed easily. And what it shows is Moses destroyed this right away. He's saying, you know, these things are just nothing. These things aren't going to last And he's saying that you can get rid of these things because you have God. God is almighty. He's all powerful. And these things can be overcome um, not easy through your eyes, but they can be overcome easy through God's eyes because God, he can just flick sin away. He can flick troubles away and he can deliver things um, just with the palm of his hand. And so we don't fully understand that because we look through our lens and we think, oh, I can't handle this. I can never get rid of this. 
but we look through God's lens. God can do so much, and he's done so much for us, and that's a better perspective is what Moses is saying. Um, Verses 23 through 24, it says, Also at the Tabor and Massa and Kibroth, Hatava, you provoked the Lord to wrath. Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you. Then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and you did not believe him nor obey his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day uh, that I knew you. And so Moses is remembering this rebellion. He's reviewing it. And it's the same application for us today. And the same application is these ancestors went through all these lands and rebelled. And it goes back to, you know, all the first few chapters of Deuteronomy is that we don't want to be wandering around. We want to learn from this generation um, over and over. He's reviewing to this young group of people. He's saying over and over, you don't want to wander with them. And he's emphasizing it so much. I would emphasize it a lot too because they wander around for 40 years on a, uh, how long was the journey? I forgot. Three days. Three days. On a three-day journey? 13 days. On a 13-day journey, they wandered for um, 40 years. And if it's, you know, that big of a difference, I would emphasize it a lot too because sometimes we think, oh, they did it really bad. I can't possibly do it that bad. But again, that goes back to the middle of this chapter, which is pride, which is why Moses emphasizes a lot of these things um, over and over. We don't want to be wandering around because that hinders our walk. And again, these, the first generation died off. God wiped them out. God judged them. And we don't want to be missing out on blessings. We don't want to be wiped out um, the same way. If you look at verse 25 through 29, we're going to wrap it up. It says, Thus I prostrated myself before the Lord. Forty days and forty nights I kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Therefore, I prayed to the Lord and said, O oh God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance. So Moses, again, he's praying, um, he's praying with God's will, which is the way we should always be praying. He's saying, all these people have done all these bad things, but they're still your people. And if they're your people, they're your inheritance. And God knows that. If you're God's children, you're precious to him. You're not just his kid or his daughter. You're like gold. You're like jewels to him. You're precious to him. Um, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. So again, everything they've gone through, every transformation is by God. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look on the stubbornness of this people or on their wickedness or their sin, lest the land from which you brought us should say, because the Lord was not able to bring them to the land which he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to kill them, um, in the wilderness. And what Moses is doing is he is praying. So all these people, all the old generation, he's reviewing all these things. He went, he's saying, I fasted 40 days, 40 nights. I've led, you know, this nation. The first generation died off. I am teaching you all these things. I'm reviewing all these things for reasons. And what he emphasized a lot towards the end of the chapter is he talks about how he prayed for his people. And I think that's really important because what he does is he does in a intercessory prayer. And it's something that um, I don't think a lot of the average Christian knows. And what it is basically is you're praying on behalf of someone else. And so there's one mediator, which is Jesus. Jesus is um, the only mediator. He is the bridge between um, man and God. He paid for our sins um, in full. 
Um, but there's multiple intercessors. For example, Jesus is also an intercessor. Um, in John chapter 17, verse 20, it says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And so Jesus mediates, but now he has a ministry upstairs in heaven, and he prays for us now. He still prays for us. He intercedes for us. And the Holy Spirit also prays for us. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 through 27, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. How, or now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. And so both the Holy Spirit and Jesus intercedes for us. And they do that because we have access, because Jesus already paid for our sins, um, done in full. And the last one is we can intercede for each other too. Um, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, it says, You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. And so when we pray for one another, that is something so powerful. We pray for ourselves because we know it's powerful. We should be doing it for other people too. Moses does it for this young generation. He knows, you know, the first group of people who wandered 40 years, that was a disaster. And he's seen it all. And then these are young, you know, some of them probably immature. And he's not sure how they're going to turn out, but he trusts God. And so he's praying on their behalf. And we should do that too. When we see people that, you know, we want them raised up, we should be praying for them. We should be praying for everybody. We should be praying for our leaders, you know, the very mature Christian, the new Christian. We should be praying on behalf of people because we have access to intercede on behalf of other people. Like, how cool is that? How cool is it that I can be at home and thank thank God for something, you know, Brian did or send a request up for Johnny? Like, how cool is that that I can do that anywhere? I can do that on my way to school. I can do that, you know, before I go to bed and I don't have to be next to Brian or next to Johnny or anything um, of that nature. And God gives us access to that because Jesus is our mediator. He already died for us. He has that bridge for us. And so we can go boldly to him for you know, our needs, but how cool is it that we can go to him for other people's needs? Wouldn't you want other people to pray for you? Because I like it when people pray for me. <laughs> That's a good thing. Um, we're going to end on verse 29, uh, finish one of Moses' sermon this week. It says, yet they are your people, and so this is the conclusion of his prayer, yet they are your people and your inheritance who you brought out by your mighty power um, and by your outstretched arm. And this last part, it doesn't show um, our goodness, it shows God's goodness. It shows that God chose us as children, he chooses us as children, and he chooses to value us as inheritance because we're precious, we're like gold to him. He loves us um, that much. It's not about us when we pray, it's about God. Everything's about God's power. And then he ends it with, you brought out by your mighty power and by your outstretched, outstretched um, hand. And so Moses is teaching them that, you know, all this stuff has happened. You know, it might seem overwhelming that your first group of people went through wandering for 40 years, but you can do it. You can do it because you can lean on God, because you can trust in God. And that's the only way to do it. You can't be prideful and think that you have everything figured out because if you look at God, it says, by your mighty power and your outstretched arm, outstretched arm, um, he can do anything. He's the one that, will deliver you, and it's not of your work, it's his work. It's almost like a freeing kind of relief that we don't have to try, we don't really have to do anything that Jesus already paid for our sins, and he's going to transform us. We're not going to transform ourselves. He already tells us 
not possible, but he'll do it for us. And so that's the end of chapter 9 of Moses' sermon. Do we have any questions, comments, or concern about this review? I, I will say this on, um, you mentioned in verse 20, and the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. So I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. And you see just this whole idea of inter- intercessory and he's going to God and bringing you know, the nation before God. He's bringing Aaron, his brother, before God. As Aaron is messing up and, and in sin. Um, all answered prayer is born in the heart of God. Mm-hmm. And so God moves us to pray in areas that he wants to work. And so when God moves you to pray, pray. And then watch those prayers get answered in the affirmative, and it's like, whoa, God answered my prayer. Well, God put it on your heart to pray. God wanted to do it. He's looking for someone on earth who's one of his kids who's like, all right, I'm going to bring this one in. I'm going to put this. That's why we are a body. That's why we're a family. That's why we have these connections. We know uh, the difficulties we go through, the struggles, the dilemmas. And then there's things that the Lord will just place on our hearts for one another or something going on in the nation, in the, in the state. So anyways, God puts it on our hearts. So when God puts something on your heart, then don't, don't deny that. Don't neglect that because all answered prayer is rooted in the heart of God. If God wants to answer prayer, he'll put it on your heart. When God puts something on your heart, be faithful and pray. And then you'll see those prayers result in the affirmative. And so you're thinking, well, these are my requests. I'm going to make my requests known to God. Those requests are born in the heart of God, putting them on your heart. Isn't that neat how God works? Father, I come before you, Lord, and I lift up everybody involved and everybody affected, Lord. And we're going to know, Lord, in the weeks, months, possible, potentially years, just uh, just the outcome and the, the result. But, Lord, right now there's some devastation. People have lost loved ones. So, Father, I pray that those people would cry out and call out to you. I pray that this would be a means for many backslidden Christians, Christians that have been walking on a fence, to recognize that life is transitory here today, gone tomorrow. And, Lord, that we are never secure on this earth. Uh, And so I just pray that many would cry out to you, Lord, that they would call upon you, that salvations would take place, that, Lord, you would bring comfort that you would bring hope, that you would bring just um, what you desire to bring through just this devastation. I pray, Lord, that uh, this country would turn back to you, Lord, that they would call out, cry out to you in recognition, Lord, that we're not guaranteed our next moment, that at any moment somebody could come in and blast a, a place of what we thought was supposed to be comfort and security. So Lord, our security is found in you. Our hope is found in you. Our joy and our peace are found in you. Lord, in this world, there are difficulties, tribulation and suffering. And so, Father, I just uh, hold this situation up to you and pray that justice would come, Lord, that these individuals would just, uh, there's one out there still, Lord, that he would be found. And Lord, ultimately, that even they would surrender their hearts to you in recognition and acknowledgement, Lord, that you are the only way. So, Father, we just pray for um, the devastation and pray that you would bring hope as people look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.